When you come to this topic, it's obviously a heavy topic, um, one that uh, nobody is an expert on, everybody is experienced, and nobody has all the answers. And nobody wants to be with the person who has all the answers, who tries to tell you how you should deal with your pain. Because here's the thing about pain. If we could probably all agree that pain isn't nice, that pain doesn't play fair, there's other people out there that you could certainly say that they need more pain in their life from, the, from their actions and attitude. And it catches us by surprise so much of the time. That's how pain comes at us. It can, comes at us. And now, what do you do with the pain that may come your way? Well, it, sometimes pain punches us. And so what we do is we punch back. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You you did this to me, I'm going to try to get even with you. Or we pray that God would get even with that person who hurt us. And it's sometimes the people that are the closest to us that cause us the greatest amount of pain. Can you go figure that? How is it that those that we love the most hurt us the most? It's a reality that we live in, and we want to punch back. And the thing is, is that pain begets pain begets pain in that time because we will never, ever even the score. Another way that we deal with pain are pills. Pills are becoming one of the most common things that we turn to. And I say this, pills in the sense of any kind of, uh, uh, of addiction. It could be an alcohol addiction. It could be, it could be literal pills. In fact, the CDC says that the, the, one of the leading cause, remember the, uh, the, I think it's the actual leading or, or the second leading cause of accidental death in America today are the abuse of prescription pills. And what we have done is we've medicated ourselves into this, into this trying to fix the pain that comes our way. Another way that we deal with pain is pleasures. The way we deal with the pain is, is okay, if it hurts here, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to consume and I'm going to take and I'm going to receive. And I'm going to, you know, if, if, if one piece of chocolate cake won't fix it, the entire, pe- the entire cake will fix it, surely. Or why buy a pair of shoes in retail therapy when you could buy a whole new outfit, right? So we end up spending to try to medicate or we eat to try to medicate and alleviate the pain. In a few weeks or actually maybe a little over a couple of months now, we're going to have with us a couple that we had with us a, a couple of years back. And that's Justin and Tricia Davis. And they have an incredible story of their life and how because of some pain that was introduced to their marriage, their marriage literally crumbled apart. And they're going to tell the story of how they worked through that pain, that suffering that, they're, that they experienced as a couple, and how God has used that to refine them in the midst of their pain. And it's an incredible story and one that I hope you will make plans right now and go online. It's a free event because of your gifts and offerings to Grace Point. We're able to offer this free to the community. I encourage you to make this weekend a priority. To learn about and through other people and how the pain so that we can learn from other people's pains and not hopefully repeat theirs. Another way that we deal with pain is the parachute method. Is I'm going to just run. 
I'm going to run in the other direction. I'm going to jump. I'm going to go to another relationship. I'm going to go to another church. I'm going to go to another job. And we're going to get away from the pain. And it is, it is the fight or flight. Again, we realize that pain isn't nice. It isn't fair. It catches us off guard. It surprises us. But here's another thing, and I said this in the beginning a few moments ago, is pain also wedges into our life to create margin. A season of pain requires margin for us to be able to go. Margin is that space between load and our limits, the Lord and his leading. And and that is what we've used as that definition for, for margin. And as you deal with margin, you realize that you're dealing with a weight capacity. And what pain does is it adds on weight. It adds on pain. It adds on suffering. And it, it, literally, we can't function at 100%. Even when we are 100%, our 100% is not what 100% was before. Because we just can't operate that way. That weight begins to weigh down on us. And how is it that in those moments of pain, what is it that we're going to zero in on? Is it going to be the pain? Because the pain is clearly coming at us. The pain is clearly on us. The pain is inside of us. What are we going to do? Take more PTO time? Are we going to take more uh, run again in another direction? How are we going to deal with the pain? Find your in your Bibles the book of Ecclesiastes, where we have been now for uh, well over a couple of months. And we're over halfway. We're in chapter 7. And I want to just read one phrase to just kind of lay the foundation for this. I want you to read it with me. It's a short phrase. It's in verse 14. We're going to see the entire chapter one, chapter 7, verse 1 to 14. But I just want us to zero in on this phrase. Read it with me. In the day of adversity, consider God. In the day. Breaking that down verse, word by word. In, in the moment, in the, in the season, in the, in the time, in the epic that you're living in. In that day. What am I supposed to focus on? What am I supposed to put my, set my attentions on? In the day of adversity, in the day of pain, in the day of suffering, that word adversity, it's an interesting word. I studied as many uses of it in the Old Testament as possible. And it's this Hebrew word that means to break, to shatter, to, to disassemble. Jeremiah uses it in Jeremiah eleven sixteen, and he refers to broken branches. In the day of broken branches, it's the Hebrew word ra'ah. And there's actually the word right next to that is another word ra'ah. It literally has in the only two words, you have to, almost have to look at them side by side and notice the, the similarities of them. And right in the middle, the middle letter in the Hebrew alphabet is the letter Aleph and Ayin. Those are silent constants. We don't even realize you're saying two, you're saying two different words, but there are two different meanings behind two different words, but they go hand in hand together. When you come to that word ra'ah, and it means this broken, as if you're breaking branches off of a tree. I'm reminded about to a book that I'm rereading, I don't know, for the second or third time, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, when he's talking about divorce and what divorce does to us is like amputating the legs off of our body. And you feel this pain that you go through 
It's this brokenness, this, this adversity that you go through. Isaiah uses the same word, and he applauded the word, and he used the word and he, as, as, as if something was shattered. Through, like an earthquake in Isaiah 24, 19, he uses that Hebrew word ra'ah. And the idea there is of the earth shaking, the foundations are shaking. Everything that you know around you is shaking. And that's what happens when adversity comes. Is everything that you can look at, everything that's above you, everything that's below you, everything that's around you begins to shake when you experience adversity. It's like broken branches. It's like a shaking of the world around you. Another time, David, Daddy David of Solomon, used the word, and he used it in Psalm chapter 2, verse 9, as if it was a broken pottery. When you think about pottery, it can break into a thousand pieces. You can have a delicate, priceless vase in your hand, and in one moment it is beautiful and priceless, and in another moment it is broken and worthless. When adversity comes, it looks like a broken vase. What am I to do? Broken limbs, earth shaking, broken vase, and there's a thousand different pieces. What am I to do in the day of adversity? Say it with me again. Consider God. It's that other Hebrew word, consider, that I want us to zero in on for just a second here. To let that be the focus of our moments here. That we realize that when it, this is the word that was most used by the prophets whenever they're telling the people of Israel to look at God, to consider God. That is what we are to focus our attention on. And in a day of suffering and pain, what are we to do? In that time of a miscarriage, what are we to do? In that time of broken promises, what are we to do? In that time of betrayal, what are we to do? We are to consider not the betrayer, not the missed dream, not the broken promise. We are to consider God. In the midst of all of that, C.S. Lewis also goes on to say, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pains. There's a way that God will speak in our time of pain. So I want us to not only think about what we can do with the pain, we can punch, we can take pills, we can seek pleasure, There's another word. It's the word ponder. In times of suffering and pain, we need to ponder and think about and consider. In fact, this word consider that he refers to here, if you go all the way to the New Testament and you go to chapter 1 of James, you'll find James saying the same thing, the half-brother of Jesus, when he says, my brothers, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. When you go through pain, when you go through suffering, and that word trials in that verse right there is the Greek word pyrosmos, which is where we get the English word pirate from. How does a pirate come at us? He comes at us in the night. He comes at us to steal. He comes at us to kill. There will be pains in our life that we will have no control over. They will come to us. What are we going to do with them? Consider it all joy. Easier said than done. I wonder today, can we learn to ponder in pain, but not on pain? Write that down. Can we learn to ponder in pain, but not on pain? 
When we ponder on pain, what we do is we make pain the object of our life, the focus of our attention. He doesn't say consider your pain. He says, consider God. He doesn't say consider your trials. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren. And he goes on to talk about what God is trying to do in our pain. So what we need to do is we don't ignore the pain. We don't medicate the pain. We don't run from the pain, but we actually in the pain ponder on something else. We ponder on God. We ponder on what he's wanting to do. So truly, when you come to this phrase, you must think about it in light of like this. We say it when we go to the gym, no pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. As we go through the pains of life and the sufferings of life and the disillusionments of life, we got to realize what God is trying to do, and he's trying to do a good work. In in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we just read verse 14. If you go back to the previous verses, what he's going to do is no more than seven different times he's going to use one Hebrew word, the Hebrew word tov. Now, we mentioned that a few weeks ago in our study through Ecclesiastes. It's the Hebrew word for good. Every Every time God finished one of the days of his creation, he ended it by saying it was tov. It's one of Solomon's actual favorite words in the, all the book of Ecclesiastes. We know vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Vanity is one of the, one of the key words uh, of Solomon's writing. But another key word is better or good or tov. And it's the idea that, hey, we want to get to a better life. We want to get to a good life. And so what Solomon's going to do is he's going to lead us to that conclusion of when we are in adversity, consider God. Prior to that, he's going to lead us there by pointing to a better way of life. And what we need to ponder on, pain forces us to push pause on a lot of life when we think we have control. So I want us to have four perspectives on pain or in pain, not on pain, in the pain that we're going through. And let's consider them from the words of Solomon himself. And just jot these down. Again, here's the thing is these are going to seem like random statements almost all over the page. Bear with me because it's Solomon's writing. I'm just, I'm just the reporter. I'm just the messenger. But I think there's something also pretty cool about that is because every one of us in this room will experience pain at different times in different ways, and there's no magic pill. There's no magic one-word solution. There's no one answer fits it all. And so you're going to have to find which one of these perspectives you need to have that you need to ponder on. First perspective may be some in this room. Second perspective may be another person in this room. Let's start with number one. It is better to have a good name than a good time. We live for good times, don't we? Fame, friends, followers, fun. They're fleeting. What is most valuable is a good name. A good name is more desirable, Proverbs, Solomon again says, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. A good name is better than a good time. Verse 1, if you go to chapter 7, verse 1, it says, A good name, a tove, 
a good name is better, tov, than precious ointment. Then a day at the spa is really what he's saying. Precious ointment. Is that be a, a spa experience? A, a good name is better than having a spa experience. Well, we have to realize that when sometimes God allows us to go through pain, sometimes even sends us through pain, is that He's actually trying to do something in us. Changing who we are. Fixing. Knocking some rough edges off. And instead of getting angry at God, pointing our finger at God, maybe we need to lean in and say, God, what are you doing in me? In this pain, what are you doing in me? Charles Spurgeon said it like this, Beware of no man more than yourself. We carry our worst enemies within us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 says this, You have been grieved by various trials. It uses the same word that James uses back in James chapter 1. You've been grieved by various trials. What did I say? Sometimes margin creates grieving, not sometimes relief. So that, here's the purpose clause, so that, henna clause, that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Basically what he's saying is God's going to sometimes put you in the furnace to melt you down, to strip away your false pretenses, to deal with some character issues. He's going to put you in a position that's going to hurt. It's going to be hot. It's going to seem unfair. But he's doing it for your own good. Alan Redpath said it like this, when God wants to do the impossible task, he takes an impossible person and he crushes him. What is God wanting to do in your life? It's a book that sat on my shelf for a number of years by Dan Allender, Leading with a Limp. Before I ever read that book, I picked it up. I'd recommended it. I'd heard about it. I'd read through portions of it. It was a good book. It was one of those good books, but it became a great book when I found myself in a season of deep, deep pain. And I pulled that book back off the shelf, and I read it, and I couldn't put it down. Leading with a Limp. He goes on to say in that book, just many great points of wisdom, character can grow immeasurably as I suffer through the loss of illusions, the death of dreams, and the shattering of success. Suffering grafts our heart to grace. God may put us through pain so that we can be grafted to grace. In a beautiful, powerful way. So here, what should I ponder? Ponder this question. How is God developing my character? How is God developing my character? Ponder that question in your season of pain. Number two, another perspective is it's better to have perspective through life than pleasures for life. And man, don't we live for pleasures? John Piper said this, he said, pleasures 
has ruined far more people than pain ever has. Pain and pleasure, sometimes they're so far apart and we want to run to pleasure and run from pain. And we live a life of pleasures. And sometimes I want to say, hey, get out of this train and this chase, this madness of seeking after more and more pleasures. And sometimes allow yourself to enter into pain, to experience pain, to walk with those who, who live on less and have more joy than we have, who make less and yet seem to apparently have more. I tell you, this is probably one of, the, one of the greatest ways to experience this is to go on a global adventure, walk beside somebody who's like a, like a, a Dan, a, a refugee from, it lives in Athens, is now leading people to faith in Christ. Walk with Dan for a day and, and learn of his journey to faith in Christ. Born as a Muslim, now a believer, feeling called one day back to Syria where he wants to plant churches. Go go to West Africa and walk with a guy named John who is who literally found a Bible on the street in Nigeria, picked it up, read it, came to faith in Christ, and is now in West Africa sharing the gospel. And he lives just on pennies a day, but he has a joy and an obedience about him and experience and walk in his shoes. Or go walk with Stephen in the Himalayan mountains. We have a team going in May. Any, any takers? Any takers? Walk in the Himalayas with, with Stephen and let him go from place to place and village to village and as he shares the gospel and you share the gospel with him and you'll experience a man who lives in a one-room house with his family. But he has an incredible amount of joy because it's not about the pleasure. A few weeks ago, he sent Caleb a photo of him stopping by a brick-laying yard where they were making bricks to build their homes. Forty people were there. He sat down with them and he began to share the gospel with them. He leaves the village and he goes on about his business. He gets word later on that out of those 40 people, seven of those gave their life to Jesus. And now Stephen's going back. What if you were to go back with Stephen to this village? You want to go? See Caleb. Come see me. We'll hook you up. There's something about we need to experience some discomfort in our life because it gives us perspective. But we live for pleasures is what we live for. Look at verse 2. It says, it's better to go in the house of mourning. Who wants to go to a funeral parlor? Who wants to, who wants to go to a place of suffering and mourning? It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind. It's good for you to get the perspective that, hey, I need to go to a funeral home every now and then because that's where I'm going to be one of these days. Living late in heart and sorrow is better than laughter. Better, the word tov again, better than laughter. For by sadness face the heart is made glad. God does this thing about building joy into our life that's in, that's disconnected from the pleasures of this world. So what is it that I need to consider? What is it that I need to ponder? What has the pain of life taught me? First thing to ponder is what's God doing with my character? The second thing is what is this pain of life teaching me? And again, maybe it's not to just find more pleasures and to seek more things that will bring you sensations. It's deeper than that. Number three, it's better to hear 
tough words of truth than sweet words of a fool. Tough words of truth. Finish this statement for me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Is that the truth? It's a lie from the pit of hell. Words hurt. You say the wrong thing to your spouse, to your children. There's a difference between breaking the will of a stubborn child and breaking the spirit of your children. The difference in those words and the tones can be huge. Words are powerful. They shape us. God, words that are given in the right words, in the right time, in the right attitude to the right person, those words can still be painful, but at least they come with truth and grace. At least they come to make me better. At least they come to change me and drive me better to a better life. Verse 4 and verse 5, it says, The heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the songs of fools. It's better for me to hear what I don't want to hear, the rebuke, than to hear songs of fools, people just saying what I want them to hear, singing music to my ears that would make me think better of myself. In reality, what I need to hear is some good, awesome truth. She says, you know what? You're wrong. You need to go back to that person that you did that, said that, whatever. You need, you, you need to make it right. Proverbs 17.10 Rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. Basically, a wise person will hear and their life will be changed. A fool, you can beat them to death and they'll never be changed. Are you a wise person or a fool? Proverbs 10, verse 17. The one who follows instructions is on the path of life. Get on the path of life, okay? Follow instructions. Listen to wisdom. But the one who rejects correction goes astray. He is often reproved, Proverbs 29.1. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. The pro- this is something that, 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 that Solomon takes throughout the Proverbs. He's talking about listening to wisdom, listening to rebuke, listening to correction, being willing to change, being a constant learner, listening to wise counsel around you. Here's a few more verses to jot down that I don't have time to read. Proverbs 12, 1, uh, Proverbs 15, 5, uh, 15, 25, Chapter 12, verse, uh, 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 excuse me, chapter 25, verse 12, chapter 27, verse 5, chapter uh, verse 17, and chapter 29, verse 15. If you didn't get those, then please listen to the podcast. About nine months ago, a friend of mine got in my business and told me some things that I didn't want to hear. I really didn't want to hear him. And as he told me these things, I pushed back. And I pushed back um, because he didn't have all the truth. He had some truth, but he didn't have all the truth. And so what I did is I pushed back on the part that he didn't have. Now, you don't have the whole story. 
You don't know everything that's going on. What happened in that moment was I was getting rebuke from a wise person who was telling me, Mike, this isn't right about you. And what I was doing was pushing back on it because all the truth wasn't out on the table. And to this day, I still say that. But what I did was I ignored the 66% that was true and focused on the 33% that wasn't true. And I made the 33% that wasn't true the most important thing of the conversation instead of saying, you know what, 66% of this is right on track. And it took me walking away, going away, letting God speak to my heart and say, are you going to be a fool or are you going to be wise? So here, when you go through those moments of pain, Here's a question to consider. What hard truth do I not want to swallow? What truth is lingering out there that I've not molded and shaped my life to? I'm still pushing back on. Because 33% of it's not accurate. Instead of setting the 66% sink deep in your soul and change you. Number four. It's better to persevere to the end than to keep starting over. When pain comes, we want to quit. When pain comes, we throw in the towel. When pain comes, we want to go in the other direction. And when pain comes, whether it's a relationship or it's things that don't work out the way we want it or whatever, we got to get out of that pain as fast as we can. Kind of we look for the exit strategy, exit door. I just want to say persevere. Don't quit. You know, I enjoy getting a new car. I don't know about you. I enjoy the smell of a new car. I enjoy driving my new shiny car down the street. And I know everybody's looking at me, man, I wish I had his car. I I remember getting a new new car and I always swear every time I get a new car, I'm not going to drink or eat in here. Nobody's going to drink or eat in here. This thing's going to always be clean. Y'all are laughing a little bit because you're kind of like that. I enjoy a new car. But you know what I love is a car paid for. I drive that old beater or a car paid for or, or, or whatever. When a car's paid for, I can breathe. There's freedom in a, in a car paid for. And something breaks on that car, costs a couple hundred dollars, it's still cheaper than a car payment. I love a car paid for. I enjoyed 28 years ago marrying Lori. I did. And we went on a honeymoon, and I loved our honeymoon. We went to the Grand Cayman, and we hung out on the beach, and we buried each other in sand and we did the honeymoon thing and it was fun until you get sunburned on your honeymoon and honeymoon sunburns don't go together. Uh, I'll let you fill in the blanks. You know, so it, I enjoy a honeymoon, but I love 28 years of a good marriage. And you know what? You don't get to 28 years in 28 days. It takes 28 years to get there. Look at verse 8. Better is the end of a thing 
than its beginning. Better, tov, is the end of a thing than its beginning. See, there's a grit test in life that whether or not I'm going to hang in there or I'm going to quit. And when pain comes, the tendency is to quit, to go to quit, to go to exit, to go to parachute, to go to pills, to go to pleasures, to go to some other direction instead of hanging in there. Because what adversity does is it comes upon us and we want to focus on the adversity and we need to focus on God. The king of our life, the master of our destiny. Proverbs 24, verse 10, jot it down. If you faint in the day of adversity, what does it say about you? It says your strength is small. Your strength is small. Jeremiah, I like the metaphor. And again, you read the prophets, you get all kinds of metaphors and imagery thrown in there. And I like Jeremiah writings when he's talking about running and and walking and and stumbling and falling and he said it like this he said if you have raced with the runners and they've worn you out how will you compete with the horses if you stumble in the peaceful land times are good and you still can't walk a straight line how are you going to stand in the thicket of the jordan See, pain has to come around us and in us and about us to really test the perseverance of us. Grit. Staying power. It's easier and it's better. It's far better to see the end of a thing than just the beginning. I love a new car. I like a new car, but I love a car paid for to the very end, living it out. So here's something to ponder. What are you saying, I quit? When God is saying, press on. I quit. I throw in the towel. I'm done. If you go down to uh, verse 13, it says, consider. Again, the same word that he talks about in verse 14. The verse prior to that, he says, consider. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked. Lots of imagery in Ecclesiastes. Consider. Consider. Who can make straight what is crooked? Who can fix my marriage? Who can fix my career? Who can fix my character? Who can fix my brokenness? Who can fix my quitting? Who can fix that? And then he says in the very next verse, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other. See, God never gets off his throne even though we're in pain. He never stops being able to make straight what is crooked. We're the ones that made this world crooked and messed up. And this verse is not going to appear on the screen behind you, but I said this is the theme verse um, that, uh, that, that has been about the whole series. In verse 29 of this chapter, he says, See this alone, I found that God made a man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Basically, we have made ourselves a mess. We have made ourselves complicated. How's this going to be fixed? Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, back in the beginning. 
Back in the beginning, what did we talk about? He will make everything beautiful in its time. Are you willing to stay in despite the pain? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. You think about Jesus going to the cross. How did he go to the cross? He went to the cross with a joyful heart. He went to pain with joy in his heart. For joy endured the cross, despising the shame. For joy he endured the cross, despising the shame. So what are we to do with that? We're to fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the one who will get us through this. Next week, we're going to have in our gathering baptism after baptism, story after story, God's story after God's story. And if you've never given your life to Christ, then today, Jesus Christ is the one who endured the cross so that you could experience salvation. Then you give yourself to Him today so that He can work in your life. He took your pain upon Him, your shame upon Him, so that you could have life in Him, and let's declare it next week. Whatever pain that you may be dealing with, will you consider God in it?